Yeah, well, good morning. I'm Scott Weatherford. I, uh, I just flew in, uh, well, yesterday from South Dakota, where I was there uh, speaking at a conference and training pastors. There's about 400 uh, guys. From, they were out of the, uh, you guys ever heard of John Wesley? Anybody? Anybody grow up Wesley Methodist something? <laughs> yeah, this is the Wesleyan denomination. And uh, the Wesleyans basically are Baptists that live above the Mason-Dixon line. That's basically what they are. Now, if I said that to them, they would be offended, but that's okay. We just know the truth, and it's all right. So I was uh, speaking for them and uh, have a chance to talk to their church planners. Uh, it was with a great church called Celebration Church, Pastor Keith Loy, church about ah, 4,000 a weekend in attendance, and they're planting 20 new churches in the next two years. Is that incredible or what? And I had a chance to meet with their planners and things like that. And it was a very exciting time. <clears throat> they worked me like a rented mule, basically. Uh, from the time I landed on Wednesday to the time I left, uh, at, I had to get up at 4 o'clock yesterday to uh, morning. Some of you know what that's like. Of course, some of you are up at 4 o'clock every morning, right, because you're old and you can't sleep. And, and I understand that more and more, but uh, just a, a, a long day. But I, I, need to, I say all that to say this to you. The whole time I was there, I was thinking about you. Because when I go and speak someplace, I don't go as Scott Weatherford. I go as your pastor. And I take you with me, and you're in my heart. And I, I thought, man, I can't wait to get back to the people that God has asked me to love and to lead. So I just love you guys. I, I know it's sappy, but I do. I'm not just saying that. I really do. And I miss you when I'm not with you. And I would rather be in Texas than in South Dakota. Can I get an amen? Yeah, so that's good stuff. Today, I'm probably going to teach or speak one of the most difficult messages that I speak because I'm going to step on your toes. And I love you, but I'm going to talk to you today about something that we really struggle with in not just our church, but in churches all over North America because we have not really told the truth when it comes to who we are as a church. We think that church happens when we gather in this building. It doesn't. It is a part of it, but we are the church and we live out the message of Jesus in a lost and dying world. And so we're going to talk about that today. Uh, last week we talked about how much Jesus loves you, and he does love you. If there's one thought that I would like for you to take away from last week's talk is that Jesus loves you right now. He doesn't love some future form of you or version of you. He loves you right now, and he loves you so much he's not willing to leave you like you are. Did you get that? That's one. That's exciting. One of you got that. That's, the rest of them, will, will, maybe I should preach that again, right? But today, I'm going to talk about worship because we've been walking through the first life, and the first thing about the first life is you got to love Jesus. And Jesus. You need to know Jesus loves you and you need to respond to him. The second thing we're talking about is worship or honor. How do we honor God with our lives? Now, I want to read a passage for you, very familiar. It'll be up on the screen. It's Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. You've probably heard this. In fact, I taught on this not long ago, and um, I did something very unusual. I usually don't do this. I usually prepare my talks, and they're usually done either Monday or Tuesday. I'm done with my sermon prep. And then I like to think it's like a pot of beans. It sits on the back burner and just simmers. And by the time you get ready to eat the frijoles, they're very good because they've been cooking for a while. 
But I did something last night that I don't normally do. As I was teaching this weekend, I just said, uh, this week, I said, I just got to shift. And, and I, I found uh, just something I got to share with you. So I'm coming with you something really fresh today, and we'll see how it goes. If you throw stuff at me, it didn't go very well. Let me read this to you. So dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Now that little idiomatic phrase, give your bodies, was Paul addressing Gnosticism that said I could do what I want to when I want to, and then, you know, I'm still okay with God. And we actually live in a modern-day Gnosticistic world. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. What I've discovered about being a living sacrifice is that I have the ability to crawl off the altar. My biggest problem is me. One more amen. We're tracking. I'm going to preach this side of the room. This side of the room seems like that's, that's where the smart folks are. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Then you will know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So I want to tell you, you, you want to know God's will for you? Do you, you want to know God's will for you? God's will for you is that you will live all for Jesus. That's just what's his will. All the rest is kind of details. A.W. Tozer, he said this, a man rightly related to God cannot make a wrong decision. That's pretty heavy. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, look at me. You're rightly related to God. Quit wringing your hands and start moving your feet. Those are going to be fun. All right. <laughs> Recently, uh, I was at a, a large church uh, down in the Florida area. And uh, it's been about a year ago. I was down there. And it was just an incredible, incredible night. Uh, you know, they had a band. And the band was amazing. These great singers. They were singing these fantastic songs. You know, people were singing their hearts out. Uh, you know, the, the, the talk, the pastor was brilliant. It wasn't me. It was somebody else. He was eloquent. He delivered a great message. It was stirring. In fact, he was a, uh, he was a pastor from uh, Nairobi, Kenya. He pastored a church of about 50,000. And he preached uh, one of the most powerful messages about giving your life away. And, and then they, they ended the time in communion. And they invited us to take communion. And it was just so powerful, the prayers, the, the songs, the preaching. And I found myself just really enjoying it, thinking, man, this is, this is awesome. And then I caught myself. I realized, you know what? This is about me and what I wanted and what I enjoyed. Now, one of the disadvantages I have as a pastor is that when I go to other churches, I have a tendency, don't tell anybody, to be judgmental. And I'll analyze, what are they doing and why are they doing it? Why'd that preacher say this? Why'd they sing that song? I know none of y'all do that. <laughs> oh, no, we just, you know, we're just fat and happy, you know. We're just glad to be here. It's just a pig in a blanket, you know, that's it. But... 
I thought about this and I just really fell under conviction because it wasn't about what God was doing in my heart, my life. It was what I was enjoying. I could have paid a ticket and gone to a movie or to a concert. And, um, and I just caught myself. A few months after that, uh, a famous Christian person had the audacity to announce that when we worship God, it's not about God, but it's about you. This person said that. God wants you happy, this person said. We worship God, it makes him happy, and God's happy when you're happy. And some of y'all remember that being said, and by whom? I'm not going to say the person's name, but just wow, wow. And the Christian world gave this person grief. But I'm afraid we live this way all the time. We just don't say it. We come and we, we have to get something out of it. It has to move our hearts. And none of that is, is wrong unless we don't realize what really truly worship is and how we respond with our lives, Jesus, I'm yours. And it walks this fine line. Yesterday, Tara and I were talking about the conference I was leading, and I, I said, baby, you know, when I go to these things and I teach, it sometimes can feel like a business practice instead of the metaphysical movement of God in his mistress power in his church, the people of God, that we might live all for Jesus. Y'all, it's not a formula. It's not a production. It's a heart transformation that makes me desire Christ. And the writer of Hebrews, he said this, don't forsake the assembling together so you can sing some songs that you know and you enjoy. No, that's not what he says. So you can hear this amazing pastor, the proficient pontificator, expouse his knowledge. No, he doesn't say that. So you can get a piscotti cookie and a cup of coffee on the way out. None of those are bad. But this is what he says, that you might spur one another on to love and good deeds. Now, we know the writer of Hebrews. We don't know who it was, but we know he was Texan because he said spur. <laughs> All for Jesus. So, I want, to, I want us to really dive into this. Uh, I love that Dan, Dan set us up musically today. I don't know if you guys pay attention, but Dan and, is really trying to, to use the arts to touch the heart. And he set us up musically, and he, and he, 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 he played that video about the heart of worship. And, and so we're going to jump into this. And just remember, I love you. So let's don't have grill preacher for, for lunch, all right? And let's open our hearts and minds. And In fact, most of the misunderstandings we have today about worship and about our gatherings is because stupid preachers run their mouths. Y'all pray for me that I'm not one of them. Some of you said, we've been praying that a while. <laughs> Maybe one day the Lord will answer that prayer. Okay. So let's pray. Father, thank you for what you want to say this morning. And I, want to I just ask you to speak through me. Help my tangled, simple mind be untangled by your wisdom and your truth 
that these people might hear from you and be changed by you. Because it's not about us, it's about you. It's about our lives living all for you. And we pray this all in your strong name. Amen. Now go ahead and take your notes out and let's jot some things down. Your notes are kind of sparse this week because I, I wanted them to be. In fact, I'm kind of glad they are because I rewrote a bunch of this stuff since I turned my notes in. So you're just going to kind of hang with me. For those of you who said, oh, it just doesn't match up, just relax. You'll be all right, okay? You'll be all right. So here's some misconceptions about worship. I want to talk to you about it. It's not just about singing. It's not just about singing. There's this strange thing that happened in the mid-'80s. Dan, you might remember this. When we shifted from having ministers of music to having worship leaders. And, of course, all of us know that worship is the slow songs and praise is the fast songs, right? Everybody knows that. And then all of a sudden it was elevated and we started worshiping music, styles and preferences and things like that. Now, I talked to you about here, uh, just said it a second ago, that we want to use the arts to touch the heart here. And we're really leaning in. Dan has a creative team now. He's working on creative elements and how can we be more artistically expressive to teach truth coupled with the messages that we're bringing because we don't want to miss that. There's been a trend, a, a trend in churches to shift music styles because we went through the music wars. And churches fussed and fought over music. I know this church never has done that. <laughs> Ever, right, Dan? In fact, as a musician, I got so tired of the music wars that I started having a hard time singing when we gathered because I'm just over it. Some people want to hear I Fly Away and some want to hear the latest, you know, Matt Redmond song or Chris Tomlin song. It's like, what are we doing? Well, if it's not in the hymnal, I got in trouble in seminary, y'all. I took him and, uh, uh, can you imagine I got in trouble in seminary? I was taking hymnology with Dr. Harry Eskew, and he was going through the hymnody of, you know, the, the, the Baptist hymnody. And he's, it was, I raised my hand and said, excuse me, Dr. Eskew, is the Baptist hymnal infallible and inerrant? <laughs> he said, that's quite enough from you, Mr. Weatherford, <laughs> you heathen. But sometimes we think that way, don't we? Well, that's what Jesus sang. We don't know what Jesus sang. Well, that's the way, you know, it was Paul and Silas. Paul was the preacher and Silas was the music man. They're laying in that jailhouse there in Philippi and they were singing, just as I am. I know it, and that Philippian jailer got saved. He walked the aisle and gave his hand to the preacher and his heart to the Lord. <laughs> Y'all pray for me, okay? I'm going to try to relive in. Music is not worship. It's a tool. It's a tool of worship. It's a way we, in unison, express our love back to God. As we gather as a family, we do so intentionally. We do it to teach truth to, to believers and expose non-believers to truth. I, I was at a conference recently, and this pastor said, you know, you can't have a service where people don't know Jesus are there and people that know Jesus is there. you got to do two different services. And I said, Bull, that's not true. That a church that builds lives that honors God is going to present truth that a believer can gnaw on and a non-believer can become convicted from. 
And, and I, I, I teach that, that I live that, and I believe that, and I think you guys have experienced that. Now, I know this, that non-believers can't worship God because they don't have the Spirit of God. But they can watch believers worshiping God and being influenced by our heartfelt unity as we sing and as we participate. This is an expression. We've allowed Satan to create division in the body over music. And this is shallow and immature. Let me repeat that. We've allowed Satan to create division in, our, in the body of Christ over music. And this is shallow and immature. A mark of maturity is measured by surrendering my preferences to reach someone else. We've got a little bitty baby granddaughter. My daughter and her husband would prefer to sleep through the night. But they are surrendering their preferences to care for their little girl. Ivy, our other granddaughter, you're going to get to meet them next week because they're going to let Papa dedicate them. I'm excited about that. And, and I didn't set this up so I could dedicate them, but I'm glad that it's happening. I'm excited that they allowed, allowed me to do that. Um, when she comes to my house, we've watched Moana 9,745 times. <laughs> it is not my preference. But I'm surrendering my preference out of love. The mark of maturity is about surrendering my preference to reach other people. When we started our church in South Texas, we were really targeting people that are far away from God and very non-traditional. Uh, casual in our dress, and I guess you guys can see that that's continued with me. Uh, main reason is because I sweat like a pig and got me a new, and that, you know, by the way, sweat like a pig is not the animal oink oink. It's about a pig iron as it's taken out of the, the smoldering press to be turned in. I don't know why I know this stuff, but I do. Okay. <laughs> and uh, we, we had a very Texas style of music, very Texas. And it had a fiddle in the band, had a steel guitar. I mean, we sounded like something to be down at Green Hall. My mother and my father came to church, and my mother said, Scott, that music y'all are playing, it sounds like something you'd hear in a honky-tonk. Well, the truth be known, most of our folks had just come out of a honky-tonk, and they're coming to Jesus. And we were touching them where they were so they could come become all that Christ wanted them to be. That's what we're doing. We're surrendering. And she said, and I said, Mama, when's the last time you've been in a honky-tonk? Never. <laughs> I remember as a little kid, we'd be driving along, and there was a, there was a honky-tonk where, near where we grew up, and she said, you children, you don't look in there. The devil lives in there. <laughs> of course, I was looking for him, huh? <laughs> He's the guy in the red suit over here in the corner. I can see him, you know. Got that tail sticking out. Yeah. But um, that's just silly. You know what my dad said? He said, son, whatever it takes to lead people to Jesus, that's what you need to do. Whatever it takes. And it's the difference. And not that my mother was immature. My mother was a classical pianist. And she, think, she thought anything that was less than Bach or Beethoven was not worthy to be listened to. And that's just really not true. Uh, Dan, I don't think I've told you this. I got to sing a Bach aria in Bach's church in Germany. They didn't, they didn't let me do it. I just did it. But, yeah. <laughs> I know you're not shocked by this. 
We must look at our culture and how do we connect with our culture. Everything has a shelf life. Everything has a shelf life. You've got a shelf life. At some point, you're going to die, and I hope it ain't like during this service, but if it is, we'll drag your body out and we'll think of something nice to say. <laughs> but the truth is, everything has a shelf life. I'm going to say this. Most of your musical preference lies in the music of your adolescence. Now analyze that for a little bit. Lies in the music of your adolescence. Now I'm going to say something else and you're probably going to throw rocks at me now. There's no sacred or secular music. Only words can express our intent and express whether something is sacred or secular. Music has no theology. Words have theology. That's why we're careful about what words we sing in our gatherings. Now, some of y'all, you know, say, well, I've been in church where the pastor said, that's the devil's music. Dan, would you mind doing me a favor? Just Would you come to the piano and play a diminished fourth chord in the key of C? Just the key of C, a diminished fourth. You can do that. Remember we talked about this? We didn't, by the way. Uh, that's a diminished chord. Play it again. The Catholic Church said that was the Diablo de Musica, that you could not ever play that chord or you would go to hell. Is that ridiculous or what? Now, it sounded like a couple of cats in a sack, didn't it? But it's just a chord of music. Just a chord of music. And so words express out. That's why we have to be particular about the words we sing. In this gathering this weekend, we were, we were singing this song and and uh, it, they, this, this is the words. Uh, Lord, we want to be where you are. We want to be where you are. And I leaned over to the pastor and said, so if God is omnipresent, like it be everywhere? You're like already here? We don't have to ask him. We don't adjust to him. Uh, we adjust to him. He doesn't adjust to us. Like isn't he God? We, we sing these other songs. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. I think he's already here. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Sometimes we sing songs like we're going to date Jesus instead of worshiping. That God is my girlfriend or my boyfriend. All right, I'll move on. <laughs> Pray for me. <laughs> Worship is not just done in a building. It's not. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in a man-made temple. It's not just in a building. Not just in a building. And it's not about my wants and desires. And we can become consumer-minded, and our attitude then becomes contagious. Our good attitude and our bad attitude becomes contagious. And I want to say this to you. A bad attitude is far more contagious than a good one. It takes five positive comments to overcome one negative. And if you get 50 positive comments about something you've done and one criticism, you remember the criticism. And that's the voice of experience. Worship is about obedience. Worship without obedience is not worship. If I'm going to choose to come and respond to God or gather and respond to God or give my life away, but I'm not going to obey God, that's not worship. 
Listen to what John says, Pastor John. Jesus replied, this is what Jesus said, all who love me will do what I say, and my Father will love them, and they will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own, but I'm telling you this from the Father who sent me. Pretty clear. In the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel said this to Saul, what's more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices are your obedience to his voice. Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice, and submission is better than the fat of rams. Whew. So what is true worship? And this is where, man, God just really worked on me. Because what I was going to do is I was going to go back to Romans 12 and exegete that for you again. But God said, don't, don't I got something I want to talk to you about. And I told you guys before that most of the time I preach to myself and you just get the overflow, you get the gravy. Well, this is some of that. Then Jesus replied, this is from John chapter 4, verse 21 through 24. And Jesus has, a, has an encounter with a woman at the well. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming and is, when it's no longer, it will no longer matter where, where you, whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews, we know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. And I read that, and I realized that Jesus was saying, we Jews know about him, we don't obey him. We know all about him. Well, we don't do what he says. He said, you Samaritans kind of live in ignorance, and, and I, I'm afraid that most of us, we live in ignorance. And those of us who know him, we don't do anything about it. And so God's challenging me to change my heart. But the time is coming, and indeed is here, when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him, worship him in spirit and truth. And I read that, and, and, and I realized, okay, I know a lot, theology, books, experience. God wants me to know him because he wants me to know truth, but he wants my spirit to come alive in dependence upon him. He wants my heart to line up with my head. He, he wants this collision of my life to be so shaped by his presence and his power that when I gather with you, I experience this love and good deeds. And when I'm scattered for you, I still live all for Jesus. That my life is, is an act of worship. That I honor God with all that I am all the time. Is that too much to ask? Whew. This is an amazing conversation Jesus is having. Jesus confronts this woman with her biggest need. And then she changes the style of the questions about her preference of how, how she gathers in a ritual-based experience. Because right before Jesus said this to her, she said, hey, uh, so, uh, you know, you just told me that I'm like living with this guy. I've been married five times and you've exposed my sin and how I really need a savior. And, and uh, well, by the way, where, we should, where should we go to church? <laughs> like she's going, did you just miss the point here, woman? Should we like go to this mountain or should we go down to Jerusalem? Where should we go to church? And folks, I want to tell you this. I want to say this to you. I want you to write this down. It's not what you show up to. It's what shows up in you. 
I could go to a barn and stand there all day and not become a horse. Have to be born a horse to be a horse. And I need my spirit to be born again by the King of kings and the Lord of lords through Jesus Christ, my Savior. And I think we do the same. I think we start looking at the conditions of our heart, and we need to look at the conditions of our heart, which is a measurement of our spirit. And we, then we look for what we enjoy instead of what, what empowers us to live all for Jesus. And you cannot worship Jesus without belonging to him. So first, give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. It's not about the songs we sing, but it's about the king of kings. King Jesus. Let me read. For everything comes from him and exists by his power and is intended for his glory. All glory to him forever. Amen. Romans eleven thirty six, 36. Ephesians 1, 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. God's truth is God's word revealed through Scripture. There's no worship apart from the revelation of Scripture. And, and don't be offended by this, but I'll tell you something. Preaching and teaching of God's word trumps music in a, in a church experience. And I feel the pressure. And actually, it shouldn't trump, it should complement. And that's why Dan and I and Jonathan and I are working hard together. That it might not be the song service than the preaching. And some of you old school people... I think you get that. So I must confront the state of my need before I can bend my knee. What I need is I need Jesus. You see, every counter with Jesus in spirit and truth will leave you changed. Will leave you changed. And I pray that every time we gather that you're changed. And I'm changed. That it's not business as usual. And there becomes a desire, a hunger to be together and to hear from God. And y'all, I look forward to aggravating you every week. <laughs> I do. I do. Wyatt has been on me. He said, Scott, you preached every weekend this year but one. And I'm old. But I love you, and I want you to know Jesus and be exposed to him. And that's not all about me. It's not all about me. You see, I need someone. I need a champion in my life. Don't you? But I, can't, I cannot succeed on my own. I need a champion. I need someone who, who can succeed for me. And, and in the spirit and the truth, I need to live in such a way that this champion, this one who succeeds for me, becomes my all in all. That I can say with Paul, I am crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live. Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I now live is by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me. 
I'm a dead man. Christ lives in me. And that my life then is all about him and for his glory. And my gatherings and the community I belong to and the community I worship him is all about him and his glory. And I want to be contagious. I want to be viral. I want to be a virus that, that just, it, it just infuses the love of God into the hearts of everyone I meet. I want to be consumed because I, I have a successor. I have a, someone who succeeded for me. I have a champion. And his name is Jesus. And I want to worship him in spirit and truth. And everything throughout Scripture lines up to the fact that you need a champion. Adam in the garden, the Edemic, the Edemic, the Edemic covenant. Adam could not live a sinless life in perfection, but we have a champion, King Jesus, who lives without sin. Noah in the Noahic covenant, he couldn't save but just a few, but Jesus saves all who are willing. We need a champion. Abraham was going to be a father of a nation that turned into a, to a nation of a train wreck. Jesus is the champion who's the father to the fatherless and the hope of the world, and he infuses his people to live as holy priests in the, in the world of brokenness. We need a champion. Moses gave the law written on stone. And the champion Jesus writes his law in our hearts. We need a champion. King Jesus. David had a dynasty that actually lived to Rehoboam and it blew up. Except for the righteous branch, King Jesus, who came out of the Davidic covenant, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one who will reign forever and ever. His kingdom will not be shaken. We have a champion. And he revealed himself, born of a virgin, in the humble place of Bethlehem, lived among us a sinless, perfected life, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, that he might be a good Noel. That's the Hebrew for a go-between. The one who will represent us, the propitiation for our sins, the one who would die in our place that we might re be redeemed, and then he rose in glory to show that he's the victor over the vilest enemy we have, the enemy of death. We have a champion, my friend, and his name is King Jesus, and I want to worship him in spirit and in truth. Where, whether I'm singing, I'll fly away, heart of worship, or some other song that has the devil's beat. All for Jesus. All for Jesus. We say, well, Pastor Scott, what does that mean? That means that First Baptist Wimberley we might have different styles of music at different gatherings, but we have one King Jesus that we will focus on and we will live for and we will honor him and we will be a people who worship in spirit and in truth. Mm. And I'm really glad I brought an extra shirt because I done sweated through this one. You see, worship is about Jesus. And Jesus, I'm your, yours. And this is an act of worship. And because I honored him with my life, I can connect with you and connect with Jesus. 
I can be connected. I can grow to be like Christ. I can serve God by serving others. I can share contagiously the love of God in word and deed. I can live a life that honors him because he is my king. And I worship him. A few years back, Tara and I had the privilege of traveling through Europe to visit the, the Reformation. Now, when we get back for Israel, I'm going to aggravate, about, aggravate you about going to, to, to Europe with me to tour the Reformation because it's life-changing. We flew into Prague, great city, where John Huss was pastor. He had the audacity to translate the Bible into Bohemian language, and he was burned at the stake for it. Then we went up to a little village called Herrenhut. In Herrenhut, there was a guy that lived there named Zinzendorf. And Zinzendorf was a wealthy landowner. Uh, he had a royal title, and so he was a man of aristocracy, rights and privileges. And these Hussians, these people that followed John Huss, were persecuted, and they came out of Bohemia, and they moved up into this part of the world, and Zinzendorf extended kindness to them. He let them live on his land. And while they lived on his land, they began to influence him for Christ. And Zinzendorf gives his heart to Jesus. And so God takes a very wealthy aristocrat, and he leverages his resources and his heart for King Jesus. And Zinzendorf starts this movement called the Moravians. And the Moravian movement is the first modern missionary movement of the Reformation. You see, it was the first time that people intentionally wanted to carry the gospel and share the gospel with people. Let me tell you what the Moravians did. They worship in simplicity. They gather in simplicity, not in ornate cathedrals like they were accustomed to. They gathered in simple buildings. And they said, the building is not the church. We're the church. And they started worshiping, and they started spreading, and they would worship in spirit and truth. They would take culturally relevant music and put Christian words to it and sing it in their gatherings. Do you know the Wesley boys got in trouble with the traditional church because they were singing bar songs? Sounds like something you'd hear in a honky-tonk. <laughs> and then the Moravians, they lost their minds. They started selling themselves into slavery so they could tell slaves about Jesus. They started intentionally moving into leper colonies, knowing that they would be afflicted with leprosy and die but did it to tell lepers about Jesus. And the Moravians, they took the broken and the marginalized and the outcast of society and they brought them in and loved them and fed them and cared for them and showed actions of compassion to them. And that day in Heronhut, we had lunch with them. And Heronhut, this little town in the middle of nowhere, Germany, gathered the broken, the marginalized, the mentally incapacitated, and brought them in and loved them and fed them. And the Moravians are still moving today. First Baptist Wimberley, Baptists have their roots in the Moravian movement. We are them, and they are us.
because Jesus is king. Jesus is king. This church, you're, you're, I'm, not, I'm going to tell you this. I hope you don't get the big head. Your fame is starting to spread throughout Texas. This little old tiny church in this little tiny place, the diamond in the heart of the hill country, you gave $67,000 over and above your regular giving to disaster relief last week. Yeah. This state has not seen a church that says, all for Jesus. Let's be that church. Let's make a difference. Let's worship Jesus as a lifestyle, a life that honors him. But first, give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I thank you that that's over. Um, and I don't know why that was so difficult for me, but because I, I love these folks and I want them to live in spirit and in truth. I don't want them to live bound up in tradition or bound up in preference, but I want them to live in freedom for you, King Jesus. And I pray, Father, that we will give ourselves to you. We will give ourselves to you. And so, Lord, even now as I, I feel this yellow bracelet around my wrist, and it says, offer you, Jesus, sometimes you, you know my heart's not there, but I want my heart to be there. So, Jesus, I, I want to say this to you in front of these people that I love, that, Jesus, I'm yours I am yours, and I commit myself to you, and I commit myself to lead these people that they may love you. And God, I have no idea what you have planned for this church, and really it's not my business because it's your church. But, oh, God, use us. Please use us for your glory. Because only living for you is the only thing that really matters. Break our hearts for what breaks yours everything we have for your kingdom's cause. Everything. And I pray, Father, the last breath that comes out of our lungs is all for Jesus. And I pray as we sing that we will sing not in our preference, but from our hearts that we're praising you, King Jesus. And as we give, we'll give of our abundance because of you, King Jesus. And as we pray, we'll intercede for our beloved friends that they may know you, King Jesus. And as we go, that we will be pregnant with the gospel. And we will worship you as people in spirit and the truth. May this be our defining statement. May it echo in our hearts and in our lives and throughout eternity. Jesus, we are yours. Jesus, we are yours.